0: privilege of talking about radical giving. And this is the last um, sermon in our series. And I want you to just shake off any nervousness you've got. Go on, you can shake it off. We're not talking about money. Today is actually not about money. So normally if you're talking about money, I would say, lock the doors. Let's trap everybody in. You are going to hear this message. But uh, we're not talking about money, although money would fit. And so the first thing I want to do is I want to address a bit of that fear of giving. I know if, if you ever felt that way, if you ever felt a little bit like, oh, I need to give, but I'm a bit fearful on how to do it or whether I should. Um, and, you know, if you've got the handout there, you'll see the first question you've got is, what are some of the common reasons that people could fear giving? So if you could start listening, what are some of the things that people could fear about giving? Some people fear because they just think, I just don't have enough or I'm not in the right position right now to be able to give or you know surely if I keep giving then I'm going to I'm going to run out and so you know I've got to be self-preserving I've got to take care of myself Um, or maybe you fear um, what people's reaction might be maybe you think wow they're just going to think I'm giving because I have to or or you know whatever that reason might be um, why don't you list that out and I want to say I actually believe I've been studying this for some time now I actually believe wholeheartedly that giving is good for you. Did you know that giving is actually good for you? It really, really is. And you might not be with me yet. I hope to bring you there by the end of this message. But giving is very, very, very good for you. And I wanted to illustrate it this way. Now, here's what happens when you're a family. You tell everybody the inside story. Now, here's what happened. I had an air compressor all lined up and we couldn't find a fitting. And so the air compressor is not going to work. In fact, I am the air compressor. But what I went and did is I went shopping during the week and I bought the biggest balloon I could find. And so this is going to be a bit difficult. So when we, maybe I should get Tim up here to help me blow the balloon up. Um, Yeah, that's right. You go find that thing and we'll be good. Um, Here's what happens is we need to be people who give out. And our fear is that you know, if I just give and give and give, then I'm just going to be like, oh, here, take this. So let's blow it up a bit. (laughs) struggling to breathe through my nose, lots of hot air, that's about as far as I'm really going to get. I'm really going to pass out, uh, so, so hang on, you, you're going to have to put up with this because wow, I'm all dizzy, I'll tell you what, so when, when the colour comes back into the room, that would be really good, trust me, I'm not doing that again, pass out. So we, we feel like this, we're, we've, we've, been, we've received from God, we've got blessing in our life and yes that may be financial, it may be emotional, it may, be, um, it may just be spiritual, the fact that we are Christians and we love God and we have been redeemed from our sins, that God accepts us as good and holy, we have been blessed and then what we're talking about today is being radical givers and so out of that blessing what do we do? We give. Now, maybe the gift that's in here is not the best gift, but let's give it anyway. So you can have all that hot air and uh, all that. This will be worse than the second service. Trust me, I'll be dry and won't be a good place in there. But there you go. So we give and we're afraid to give because we think I'm just going to run out and I'm going to give and then we give again and we, we get to this point and then we feel like the church comes up and they say, come on, let's radically give. And you go, okay, uh, come on, give, yep. Say, what about just this part of me? Or just give. And maybe you've walked in here today and that's how you feel. You feel like we're about to launch a capital campaign. We're, gonna, we're talking about giving. And as, as Christians, you're, you're meant to be going and being a blessing to people. And maybe you feel like this. Maybe you feel like I've got nothing more that I can give. And, and that's how we can feel at times. Maybe that's a fear of yours. I've got I've to have enough to give my family. I've got to have enough to give my loved ones. And so what I see biblically is a rhythm between receiving and giving. And so we were supposed to be people who received and then gave out of that blessing. Um, you actually see it in the Old Testament where the Israelites were under slavery. And while they were in slavery, it was basically give, 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 give. And then after you've given and after you've gone and done everything you can, you could come back at nighttime and wait on the Egyptians' tables and give some more. And so this is how they lived. They lived in a time in the Old Testament where it was just give, 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 give. But in the New Testament, it's not all about blessing. You know, we sort of, we sort of say, and look, is there anyone brave enough to blow this up for me? I'm, I'm, we're going to do this. Come on, let's make it happen. Who's got a big line capacity? Yes, please. That'd be fantastic. You just come down here and um, I promise this will be worse than the second service. Yeah, can you give them a massive round of applause? I mean... Obviously not a germaphobe or, you know, that's really good. You've been tested. So you want to blow that up for us? As big as you can go. <laughs> all right. So while that's happening, you know, we, in the Old Testament, it was all about, you know, giving and giving and giving. New Testament, we see it's not just about the blessing. It's not just about receiving to the point where, you know, you never, ever, ever give out. And so what we see in the New Testament and the new covenant that we have with Christ is that there is now a rhythm between blessing, the thing that we receive, and giving that we're supposed to give. Now let's see how how we're going over here. That's not bad. Are you going to pass out on us? No, he's doing all right? All right, we'll let that keep going. But we need to be people who not only... It is hard to blow up. I did a pretty good job, I thought. Yeah, it's get, I'd put your mouth in it and then breathe off to the side. It's hard because I can talk with a mouthful of marbles underwater, so I can kind of talk and preach. And, and But I did nearly pass out. That was hard. And you know what happens for us? That's actually looking pretty good. We might get one mouthful in there. Here's what happens to us. Do you want to give him a big hand and I'll, I'll get that balloon back? Thank you very much. That is fantastic. You're a legend. If I did that, I would be out cold. Maybe that would be a blessing to you. But anyway, we'll see how we go. So... This is what happens to us when we only give in. That's as far as we can grow. That's it. And if we only receive, and that's that's all we do, if we just receive and we just get, this is what a lot of us do is we take that, man, that's hard on this one, and we, (coughs) ever tried to tie one of these things before? And we cap it off. Now, the thing is, that's going to look good for a couple of days. That's going to be real good for a couple of days. It's going to look good. You don't give out. This is what you look like. It's all dammed up. It's closed. And we we don't give out. This is as good as it's going to look. And you show me this balloon in a week's time. What's it going to look like? It's going to be deflated. It's going to be small. It's going to have all of its capacity will have already been reached and it won't grow. And that's what I want to say to us today is that If we don't give, we go stagnant and we don't grow. And of course, a lot of us just just get blessings and blessings and more blessings. And we come to church and we read more about God's word and we learn about God's word. And then we get more blessings, more blessings. We don't give, but we just get, 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 get. And what happens when you do that to a balloon? It just goes bang. That's what happens. It explodes. And then it's ruined. And I believe there are a lot of ruined Christians because they don't, Give, they're not radical givers. And so I hope I'm presenting a balanced view right now. I'm not saying give until you've got nothing left for your family, give until you've got nothing left for anyone. Sure, there may be very unique times where God sovereignly speaks to somebody in such a way that they need to give in in that kind of way. But I want to say to you that we need to be people who receive and give. And we see this displayed really, really clearly in Genesis Chapter 12, um, verse 1 to 3. This is God speaking to Abram. And it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land. I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. You know, for me, what stood out in that passage of Scripture was a few things. There was a whole heap of language from God saying, I will. This is God speaking. God saying, I will. I will bless you. I will do this. I will do that. And so the blessing comes from who? It comes from God. God blesses us. But then you go to the end of the verse and it says that all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I don't know if you've ever thought this when you read the Bible. If you've ever thought, why doesn't that word say, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed in you? Now, the Bible is very clear that it's actually through you. God has given you resources. God has given you strength. Some of you, God has given you muscular strength. Some of you, God has given financial strength. Others, emotional strength. Some of you, intelligence. Whatever your strength, however God has blessed you, I believe this shows us the purpose, is that God has blessed us so that the, the world can be blessed through you. And so if you're just holding on to that and it's not coming out or you're not able to express it or... Or maybe you just feel bad for your blessings. That's the other thing I don't want you to do. Don't hear a message about radical giving and feel bad for the blessing that you've been given. But give that blessing. Be a conduit where God can bless you and then go through you. And so, if we're looking at our flip chart here, it says God has, and can anyone guess the word here? Blessed. That's right. He hasn't blessed this, um, this thing for whatever reason. Let's see if I can make that any better. God has blessed you to be a blessing. That's better. Although some of you may not be able to read the red. Is that okay? My little dot of the eye was all right. not going to draw a little love heart. But um, God has blessed you to be a blessing. So what kind of blessing are we being? So the next question in your handout there says, what is blessings purpose in your life? And why does God allow it? Why does God allow blessing in our life? That's a really good question, I think, for us to ask and to wrestle with. That verse that I read to you before um, is actually what they call the Abrahamic covenant. And it's an amazing covenant. A covenant is a contract between two, two people, in a sense, that they cannot break. But this one wasn't actually... Leaning that way, it wasn't a covenant between two people. It was an unconditional covenant. It was a covenant between, basically, God would keep by himself. And this is a covenant, you read. if you're interested, you can read more about it in Genesis chapter 15. We won't go there today. But it was an unconditional covenant that God gave to um, to Abraham to say, I will bless you. And I want to say this to you today. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, this is great, but it doesn't apply to me because I'm not blessed. You know, I still struggle with sin in this area and, um, you know, I haven't quite made, made it. Or, you know, yes, I've got some money, you know, I've got some intelligence, but I haven't reached the goal that I want to reach. You know, that covenant is an unconditional covenant. If you are in Christ, if you call yourself a Christian and you follow him and you trust him for your salvation alone, then you are blessed. Do you agree with me? You are blessed. If you believe in God and you love Him, then you are blessed. And I want to say to you, that covenant is unconditional. If you've entered into that covenant with God and you trust Him for your salvation, but you don't feel worthy of that relationship with God, that's okay. It's an unconditional covenant. It doesn't rely on what you have done. It doesn't rely on the sin that you've committed this week. It doesn't rely on any of that. This is an unconditional covenant. God loves you unconditionally. And when we come to him, this is our position. Our position is that we are blessed. So now that I've set that up, I want you to know that, that you are blessed. You know, scripturally you are blessed. If that is something you struggle with, you can go through the scriptures a bit more. I'd lead you to Genesis 12, 1 to 3 and Genesis 15. You'll find it in there. and Just read some commentaries or come and chat to one of the pastors. But here's the part of the message where I really struggle is I had the key text and I was praying about it sort of the other week and I was saying, God, can I find another text? This, this text is too hard. It's, it's a tricky part of the Bible. It's hard to know what to do with. You know, it's offensive. You know, can we just sweep that under the rug and just pretend it wasn't there? Kind of like one of those crazy aunties. Anyone got one of those? Kind of like just, just she's not related or, you know, put them over there. It was kind of like that and I was looking at it and so I sort of just entertained the thought and I started reading through it. And you know what? It's still like a crazy auntie to me, all right? It's it's weird, it's a bit out there, but I hope we can struggle with this together as a community. So we're going to start to work through this this morning and uh, as I read it, you may find things that you go, you know what, that's that's a little bit offensive or that where does that fit in line with Christianity? And I hope to get a little bit sort of A few of the answers, anyway. So we're reading from Luke chapter 14, verse 26 through to 35. And this is Jesus speaking. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Now, this is the clincher. This is where he ties it all together. Don't think he's talking about two random topics. Jesus doesn't do that. He seems very scattered, but he's not. And this is where he ties it in. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And I don't know about you, but I think that is quite a tough pill to swallow. If Jesus was here right now and he said that exact thing, I wonder how you'd feel. I wonder if Jesus was standing right here and he said, unless you give up everything. I mean, maybe now some of you are going towards, oh, hang on, but what about that thing? But that, that's, I like that thing. I'll give you the things I don't like, but I like that thing. And Jesus said, well, if you're not willing to give up everything, you can't be my disciple. And many people walked away from Jesus. I, I, I can understand why. I'm preaching the message and I want to walk away. Trust me. This is what happens in our heart. Our heart wants to attach itself to things. But Jesus said, unless you give me everything, then you can't be my disciple. And the next question in your sheet there says, have we... Have you ever really come to Jesus on His terms? You know, we, we don't count the cost sometimes. That scripture before was saying, you know, if a king was coming against you to, to, to start war and he had 20,000 troops and you only had 10,000, wouldn't you first sort of go, all right, do we reckon our 10,000 have got what it takes? You know, have we, have we got 10,000 fighters or have we got 10,000 people who are just going to kind of run away? You know, wouldn't you first estimate, do we think we can do this thing? But I think what we do is when we come into Christianity, we don't think we're going to be called to be radical givers. We come into Christianity and we go, oh yeah, I don't even have to think about this. I love Jesus. He makes me feel all special on the inside with those special warm feelings that he's so good at giving. All right? And we don't sit there and, and count the cost. We don't sit there and go, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can be a Christian. I don't know if I, can, if I can go there, God. I don't know if I can trust you to be my Lord, the boss of me, not, not give me warm, gooey feelings. And trust me, Jesus gives warm, gooey feelings. I've had them. They're cool. I love them. All right? Go and get warm, gooey feelings. But what I want to challenge you with is that sometimes we don't come to Jesus on his terms. And here's the thing that I've learned about Jesus. He requires superior love. He wants superior love. The ones that that you know that we reserve for our, the people that we love the most. And we, we do a bit of a weird thing in our family. And I've said this to Mish from the beginning. I said, yes, I love you. But do you know what? I love God more. And she hasn't reacted badly from that. She's not like, what? How dare you? I'm supposed to be the middle of this. Because she knows That if my love for God isn't central to everything I do, then my love for God isn't going to be able to inform my love for her. And there's so many people who don't love God in a superior way and they're trying their hardest and their best to love their their kids and to love their wife and to, to love all of these other people. But unless our love for God is number one, we can't best love our kids. I say it to my boys all the time. I love you, but I love God more. Now, that's hard to do because a lot of us treat our kids as if they were God and we give them superior love. And my boys stick the knife in me as well and they go, yeah, well, we love God more than you. He's our father. Take that. And I'm like, oh, that's true. They do it to me all the time. But I know that they're going to be able to love me the best when they love God the most. Isn't that the way to go? When we love God the most... And I want to say this to you right now. I wonder whether this is a prophetic moment for some of you. I believe some of you are wondering why your horizontal relationships aren't working. You know, we tried this thing. Ah, it's not working. I've screwed my kids up. Trust me, I'm going to screw mine up as well. God's grace is going to have to cover that. You know, I've done this. I've done that. I've done all these things. But we wonder why. They know it too. We talk about this at home. Um, they, you're wondering, why, why do I keep ruining these things? doesn't mean you're a bad person. What I'm going to say is love God. Love the Lord your God. Put him before anyone else. He requires radical giving to him, in that we love him first. He doesn't want part of us; he wants all of us. Now the good news is, is that he's got a plan to bless you. God does want to bless you, but he doesn't want that blessing to keep filling you to explode. All right, that's the prosperity gospel, which is nothing really at all, no gospel. So Jesus illustrates it obviously the best in Matthew chapter twenty-two and verse. 36, and I love this, it's all of the teachers, all of the educated people in religion, and, and they're saying to him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This was a loaded question, you've got to understand, they were trying to trap him right here, I mean, don't don't do that, it's not the smartest thing you can do, and Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the and and sorry, this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And here's where I want to go back to that passage of scripture that I was struggling with so much essentially, the part where it says, Unless you hate your mother and father, I mean, that's got to cause you some trouble, right, in your own heart. You've got to go. That is causing me issue because why? I don't want to hate my parents. Well, maybe some of you do, but you shouldn't. You know? But why is Jesus saying, hate these people? And I believe this verse gives us an insight into why, that what we are supposed to do is to love God so much, so incredibly much, that our love for mum and dad, brother, sister, other people looks like hate. That's what what helped me understand that verse. You've got to interpret Scripture by Scripture. And the rest of the Scripture doesn't tell us to hate our mom, hate our fathers, hate everybody. It doesn't tell us to do that. But we are supposed to love God with all of us, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, with everything we've got. We are supposed to love God. So much so that our love for other people looks like hate and so the next part on the on the flip chart here is that your best life john 10 10 says that he's come to give us life and life more abundantly is found in not playstation but loving god and figuring out how to fit the words on the page so your best life is found in loving God, and I think that is—it's not really working, is it? Um, your ah, all of your oh, of course it does. <laughs> Don't forget, I'm still dizzy from before. I can't cross that out. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for my theology. Alright, cool. Um, if I was a if I was a Jew, I'd be bathing for a year. You look that up. Trust me, that's what they do when they write their scripts. Um, so. Don't distract me because I'm easily distracted. It's not, oh, look, a butterfly. That's great. Um, yeah, squirrel. Um, so, you know, we, we, our best life is found in loving God. And we love God, you know, the most. When, when we love God the most, we will find our best life. Okay, that, that's where it's found. We, we try to find our best life through not giving. If I can just get, get, get. Oh, I feel so inadequate. So I just want to get, get, get. Oh, I've got all these needs. Yeah, I just want to get, get, get. Oh, they're asking me to give. Oh, I just need to get because I don't have enough. And if I get enough, I'll feel better. It's not the way it works. You'll feel better when you take it in, give it out. Take it in, give it out. You were made to give. You are blessed when you give. I don't know if you've ever had a situation where you've been able to bless somebody and give or, or give an offering or, or help somebody through a, a painful situation. Don't you walk away going, <clears throat> man, I feel good. I know of many times where I've been the first on on the scene of an accident and it's been horrific and I've had to give, 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 give and I've walked away going, wow, it feels good. I'm disturbed, I'm not going to sleep for a week but I feel good, okay? We we feel good when we give and I, I believe a lot of us get stagnant, the waters of our life get murky and full of algae and dirty because we're trying to preserve, we're trying to complete ourselves and we can't Do it because God has called us to be radical (coughs) givers. And I think we don't count the cost of giving. We don't actually sit and go, God, you're going to call me to give. You are the Lord of my life. And I want to read you a quote um, that I think really sums it up well. This quote is uh, by a guy called John stott if uh, some of you have heard of him and uh, it's it's a big quote. we'll go through it and then i'll cap on a few areas it says the christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict half-built towers the ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish for thousands of people still ignore christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so The result is the great scandal of Christendom today, so-called nominal Christianity. In countries in which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They have allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit the convenience no wonder the critics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism that is an enormous enormous quote you know the, the things that stuck out to me was he said you, you look at christianity and it looks like a whole bunch of um, half built towers now, are you a half-built tower today, because you didn't say, God, what does it cost to follow you? It says they were unable to finish. They didn't reflect on the cross, uh, on the on the cost. Um, nominal Christianity. You know, think about that nominal Christianity. The part that I loved the most was that their religion is a great soft cushion. You know, a soft cushion when you're really tired. You're like, ah, oh, that's that warm, gooey Jesus feeling. It's kind of like, ah, oh, this is comfortable. Now, I wonder if your whole relationship with God is all about that soft cushion, where it's just comfortable. And then you come to church, and we talk about radical giving. You know, you, we need to be radical givers who are, who are radical, who consider the plight of the poor and the broken and the needy. You know, you, you heard Jess deliver so clearly and, and brilliantly about the fact that we need to be radical goers who go into the world and help people. And I hope you were stirred by that. And we come to church and we hear about doing these great things and then we, we go back to the door and we, we pick up our comfortable pillow and we sort of walk over here and we hug our pillow and we go to sleep. You know, that's what we think Christianity is and we haven't counted the cost of being radical givers and so the next one here is before you count before you count i'm gonna have to look at my thing again before before you build you must count the cost that's the way, the, yeah, there you go, I even said it. <laughs> Do you want to enjoy some pictures? I'm really good on this foot chart. Um, you've got to count the cost. Now, here's where you're going to think I've gone completely mad, which you haven't, if you haven't already. I want to give you a warning from our own series, okay? So, please be really careful about this series, because this, I can say this really fast and make it like one of those disclaimers. Um, be careful with this series. What I don't want you to get is the picture that Jesus went around offending everybody all of the time. You've got to be radical with everything. You've got to go, give, you know, give to your nearly dead. That's why I gave that illustration at the start. We need to be people who take in and give out. A lot of the time, Jesus' message was good news. That's why they call it the gospel. It was good news. So you saw Jesus. You didn't go, oh, he's going to take my pillow off me. I've got to run away. All right, Jesus would give you the pillow, probably take it away. Uh, That illustration is only going to have a certain lifespan. But you know, you've got to realize that what we don't want you to do is walk away from here with like a low-level sense of guilt. Like, well, I'm not giving and therefore God doesn't accept me. Um, that is not what we want you to do. Um, I'll go to my next scripture in Hebrews 11 verse 6. It says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so this this radical series that we're talking about, I want to say to you, it's really about faith. Being radical is about having faith in God. It's about saying, God, I'm I'm struggling to give right now. I, I feel you pushing me on an area... You know, maybe you feel like God is saying, oh, I want you to give to this person. Or I want you to do this thing. And maybe you're saying, God, I, I'm struggling to do that. Well, you know what? The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we don't please God by giving everything. We don't please God by all of the radical things we've talked about. That doesn't please God. What pleases God is faith. And if you've got a faith in Christ, then you are pleasing to him. But that faith needs to be outworked. Now let's, let's try to do that again. I'm going to apply some faith over here and see if I can make this thing work. All right, So, we're going to use big words in church. If I can spell them. Sanctification. It's much bigger than I was hoping for. Sanctification must flow out of, anyone got any ideas? no oh you know what you're going to love this I've done it again alright actually no I've done that right sanctification must flow out of justification who just switched off right now hands up come on be honest we're family thank you thank you good alright let me explain it for three of you the rest of you geniuses and liars at the same time so sanctification must flow out of justification sanctification is, is about you Before you go to heaven, hopefully you're going to be in a better position than you are right now. So maybe when you came to Christ, you were, I don't know, lying, thieving, chain-smoking, cat lover. Okay, really bad person. All right, horrible person. Just came to me, must have been the Holy Spirit. So maybe that's what you were, okay, this horrible person. Okay, and then God saved you. Do you know what he did? God justified you. Now, the best way to remember that is that God made you just as if you never sinned. So he took you, this person, and he saved you. You didn't you didn't change yourself before God accepted you. He justified you. You are good in God's eyes. He loves you. You are justified. You are free. You are the apple of his eye, and he loves you so incredibly much despite your sin. Do you get that point? Understand? Good. So you are justified, and he... He loves you unconditionally. But he doesn't leave us there. He also cleans us up. And that's what sanctification is. So I would hope that by the time, you know, and I think obviously this is God's intention, that you are being changed more and more into his image. Now, the fact that God's not a, I can't remember what I said before, chain smoking, thieving, lying, cat lover, well, that to be contested, that last point that God's not those things, then we need to become more like Him. It doesn't change the fact that we are justified just as if we never sinned, that God loves us even if you've sinned. But He also wants to sanctify us. He wants to clean us up. And so what we don't want you to do is go, you know, I've got to be better. I've got to make myself better. I've got to earn God's love. I've got to earn God's respect over here with sanctification. Now, being a radical giver... I'm going to tell you that lives in the sanctification basket. If you go the rest of your life and you're not a radical giver, I don't believe it changes that you, if you are justified or not. If you have repented of your sin and you love God and you're genuine and you mean it, then you are justified. God looks at you as clean. But I'm going to say to you, I think you're struggling with sanctification. Now that, that point can go a bit deeper. We don't have the time for that now. But what I don't want you to do is walk away from this series going, Oh, I'm so guilty, oh, I, I better give. You know, your better give isn't going to change the world. You know, you going, oh, Carl's going to start talking about capital campaigns, so <sighs> better give something. Someone somewhere is going to know, I've I, I got to give. You know what? Keep your money. Well, maybe don't. Carl might say something different. You know, <laughs> keep, keep your money. No. But, you know, give and test it out. But struggle and give. How about we live with that one? You won't change the world by begrudging giving by begrudging obedience, like, oh, I've got to do this. You will change the world when you've been saved by God. And so because you love Him so much, you want to be cleaned by Him. You want to serve Him and be passionate and go and do what He's called you to do. That's when Catalyst Church will make it. That's when Catalyst Church will change the world. We have a capital campaign. You heard Carl say before, um, you know, well, it's good of you to give. Um, you know, we're, we're a little bit under, but it, we'll get there. You know, we're nearly making budget. That's great. But we won't change the world by making budget. We'll change the world when you say, you know what? I want the church to have an abundance because I trust the leadership and I trust those guys. That's radical giving. But it doesn't come out of I'm trying to make somebody happy. And it doesn't come out of guilt. It doesn't come out of you going, well, they did a real good job of making me feel guilty. And so, well, I'm just going to give because I better. Oh, no, I better give more because that will make me feel less guilty. Being a giver isn't your way of feeling less guilty. That's why some people go and serve in in like op shops and and I don't know, soup kitchens if we even have them here and go and help the homeless. They're not bad things, but a lot of people are doing them out of guilt and that is not what the gospel is all about. As I close now, I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 3 says, If I give All I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And so there is nothing to be gained from giving, and we don't want you to give from a place that is anything but love. Maybe some of you are struggling with this part of things, maybe some of you are struggling with the whole justification. And you're saying, God, but I'm not clean. I'm not, how can you love me? I keep stuffing up. I keep doing these things that are are shameful. And that doesn't matter how old you are. We, We will struggle with sanctification until we die. Okay, God outed you on the cross. You are a sinner. That's why he had to die. That's what he did. And so we need to give from a place of love. And we need to do that as people who run into the arms of a loving God not run into the arms of a, of a God who's like, well, you've made a mistake and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you. So right now, let's get really practical. Um, on your sheet there, it'll have, what practical next steps can you take to become a radical giver? You know, what are the next things you can do? You know, Maybe one day in the future, you might give a million dollars and that'll be amazing and pigs will fly and, Incredible things will happen. I'm not talking about what's your ultimate goal. What I'm saying is what is your next step? What is something you can action this week? Is it a conversation with someone who you've been you've been delaying? Is it, um, you know, whatever it is. In fact, I want you to come up with what is your next step in obedience to God uh, that you can do? Maybe some of you need to work another job to make more money to give. Maybe some of you need to work less to give more time but the point is that you've got to be led by the holy spirit and you've got to be people who say you know what christianity is not just my soft cushion to hug okay christianity is counting the cost and following god in fact if you want my personal view on this i'm just thinking on the fly here christianity is not about just a soft cushion christianity is counting the cost and tr- trusting Jesus, no matter what the cost, knowing that He's going to give you that soft cushion. That's how it works. We've sort of got to go, you know, you, you do this to your kids. Make sure you do that. Make sure you do this. And you know full well you're going to give them some amazing reward if they get it done. But, you know, you put your hard face on. Or maybe it's just me. You know, that's that's what I do. It's like, well, make sure you do this. And I don't want them to just love me because of the blessings I'm going to give them. I want them to do it out of a good heart. And then I'm going to bless the living daylights out of my kids so that's what God wants us to do um, there is also another idea uh, that I've started in our family uh, we started a missional prayer challenge um, you can go on to operationworld.org onto their website um, maybe we'll make a link available on our Facebook page later on but you can sign up now, this is just something we did at the start of the year and it's a really really simple thing it's a missional prayer challenge and what you do is um, every day you just pray for one different part of the world and you give in prayer but here's what it does it starts to change your heart a bit it starts to get your heart into the perspective of hey we are givers we are blessed we are so blessed and so therefore we should give but um right now why don't we end I'm, I'm just going to pray um, you know I hope this message has stirred you I hope um, it has got you to a place where you're really saying, God, I'm at a crossroad here. I need to make a decision. I want you to know that God loves you and he wants to bless you. But let's not damn that up and keep it to ourselves. Let's be radical givers who can change the world for Christ. God, I I just want to thank you so much that you are a good, good God. And Lord, I pray that you will make up uh, for any inabilities that I would have to communicate this message in a way that would radically impact people's lives today. God, you are the one that we love. You are the one who has such a brilliant plan for our life. But God, it doesn't come without a cost. It doesn't come without us having to do something and to give, to be radical givers. And Lord, I believe that us being radical givers is a part of what it looks like to be your disciple. That shows that we are saved in a sense because it it, it flows out of our love for you. So God, this morning, as we worship you in response to your word, as we worship you in response to the scriptures that have spoken to us today, God, I pray that you would supernaturally speak into our lives and our hearts, that you would change us, that you would shape us more into your image as we just give you control of our lives as Lord of our life. Father, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.